Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts... Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, I feel like I say this every single week. It was another busy weekend in MMA, if not, strictly speaking, totally consequential. But uh, these are the boom times for the shit-eating wild man, as if you want to, you can go out here seemingly and watch MMA 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all weekend long, maybe mix in a little bit of celebrity boxing of a Sunday night if you get home in time from church. Uh, how's this working out for you? You liking this this busy schedule, or you do you wish you had a little bit more time to yourself? Well, you know, I was going to add, if you want to expand it to combat sports, you could be watching some of this stuff kind of constantly, especially if your definition of combat sports is, let's say, broad. You know, like you're not not overly rigid. Yeah. Maybe you include some karate combat in your life. Maybe you include some slap fighting. You know what I'm saying? You get your celebrity boxing fix in. Like you could just be sort of plugged in and living this life nonstop. Yeah. And from what I gather, looking at the Twitters, some people are doing that. Yep. It sounds to me like what you're saying is that combat sports is a spectrum. Okay. Yeah. And that somewhere you can find yourself on that spectrum and you can just live your best life out here watching these damn fights. We had a uh, couple of ultimate fighters crowned. We had uh, Giga Chikadze maybe cash his ticket to something approaching uh, elite status in the UFC men's featherweight division. Of course, we had uh, Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley on Sunday night went out there and did the best they could do. Uh, We're going to be talking about all that stuff on today's show. And remember, 
You are listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday for free in your timelines or podcast libraries. And if you like what you hear on the show, you can go check us out over on patreon.com slash co-main event because we're over there rocking all week long with three additional podcasts every single week. If you don't get your MMA fix from this show, you can check out the Wednesday live chat where we spend a full hour answering questions from the beloved patrons of the CME. We also got the Friday Power Hour podcast, which is an additional hour of curated MMA talk every single week. It features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. And if that's not enough for you, we're kicking off Hockey Movie Month this month yeah. in the uh, in the movie club. This week, we're starting off with a classic we're going to be watching Slapshot, so I'm excited for that. That goes down Thursday. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm pumped. Have, you you never seen Slapshot, have you? I don't think I have. Okay. But I know that yeah. it's a uh, you know, it's a it's a signpost on the in the world of the hockey movie. It's a yeah. it's a classic. A lot of a lot of Slapshot references in your beer league hockey locker room. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the film isn't dated. Okay. I won't do that to you. But I am going to say it's still a good time. And, uh, you know, you know what Paul Newman brings to a party and he brings that here. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. That goes down Thursday. Again, if you want to join the team, hop on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. We got music this week from our guys, uh, Foreign Cash. They are an LA based production duo. If you like what you hear from them on the show, you can check out more of their stuff at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash foreigncash. Uh, remember, that's cash, C-A-C-H-E, foreign cash. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, after two years and seven fights in the UFC, it may finally actually be giga time. And in round number two, it turns out Tyrone Woodley boxes like he fights. And in this instance, that is not a compliment. And in round number three, UFC 268 at MSG is, for the moment, officially stacked. But how are you going to book Rose versus Wiley 2 and make Carla, make Carla Esparza go and tweet a broken heart emoji? That's just sad. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first... Like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Reservoir Dogs character Marvin Nash, who is, if I'm not mistaken, the cop who gets his ear cut off. Okay. He, so he's the cop who's in, like in the trunk of the car who gets brought in and like duct taped to the chair. I think that's right. It's been a long time, I have to admit, since I've seen Reservoir Dogs. But uh, that's what I'm thinking. That's who I think Marvin Nash is. And in any, in any case, he keeps it short and sweet here, Ben. He just writes, uh, Ricky Tercios, you have my attention. Now, uh, did you watch this, Ben? The Ultimate Fighter yeah. finale fights on the uh, the fight night card over the weekend. Uh, you and I are pretty much on the record here about that we haven't watched an episode of The Ultimate Fighter itself for a lot of seasons now. And uh, this was the this was the, the the finale here, both at bantamweight and at middleweight. Of course, we'll talk about the bantamweight fight first, where Ricky Tercios does in fact win the split decision over Brady Hearstand in a fight that won. Uh, oh, I was going to say fight of the night, but they didn't give one out this week. I thought this yeah. was a shoe in for fight of the night. 
you would think, right? I don't know if there was something about the tough finale bouts that they decided they they weren't going to do that. Because you looked at that fight and you were like, well, this has all the makings of what the UFC typically looks for in a yeah. fight of the night. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Tercios. Uh, there was some chatter online before this fight went down. People saying to us online, you guys are going to love Ricky Tercios. He's going to be a capital G guy. And I'm not going to tell you that's wrong. Because... Yeah. I would describe Ricky Tercios as having big Diego Sanchez energy, mm -hmm. especially in the post-fight interview with Paul Felder after he wins this split decision. <laughs> but look at Paul Felder's face, man, when he's when he just starts talking, and Paul Felder is like doing the thing where you're trying not to smile, mm -hmm. and but you're also like a little bit confused. You're not sure where this is going. Like you know this look, yeah, and I love it. I love everything about it. Yeah, you know, Paul Felder, he's just getting his feet wet here in the post-fight interview game, man. Like, the guy's a, a true professional, uh, great fighter, good actor, good in the broadcast booth. Now they got him. Now they—this is like a vote of confidence, I guess, from the UFC when they tell you they think that you're good enough to start handling the post-fight interviews to actually go in the cage and talk to the fighters when the fight is over. And it's not an easy assignment, as we've seen the past couple of weeks, both— yeah. Uh, when Daniel Cormier tried to ask Marco Madsen that question, he started speaking Danish. <laughs> and now this week with uh, Ricky Tercios, who's just, he's a whole vibe, man. I don't even really know how to describe it. Yeah, I was once at a uh, party in college where a dude under the influence of, I'm going to say several controlled substances, once told me about how consciousness is an illusion. And there is functionally no difference between human beings and plants. And that we are all basically the same organism. The look that must have been on my face, that's the look that was on Paul Felder's face during that interview. And yet, maybe it says something about the way combat sports functions. You want to get our attention? It's not enough to go out there and win a season of The Ultimate Fighter. Because we will have forgotten that within two weeks. Yeah. You know, the, by the next time you show up to fight, they'll have to remind us. This guy won the most recent season, The Ultimate Fighter. And once there is another season that follows that, God help you. Like then, unless you are just beating everybody's ass between now and then, by the time you show up, it'll be like, oh, he won the Ultimate Fighter season, whatever. And we'll be like, oh, huh. Yeah, okay, that's right. I guess so. I guess that, that sounds right. That's how it goes. But if you can make an impression in some other kind of way, you know, have yourself a really fun, memorable fight, and then channel the little Venn diagram part where Diego Sanchez and the ultimate warrior meet, then you have yourself something that we will remember. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, I got to be honest, after watching the first three fights of this main card headed into the Bantamweight tough fights, I was like, well, I didn't watch the ultimate fighter this season. Maybe I'll check out of this thing, roll back in tomorrow and, and, uh, find myself a replay of Giga Chikadze versus Edson Barboza. And then they hit me with the, uh, with the video vignette, letting me know that, uh, that Brady Hearstand is actually from Spokane, part of our beloved Sick Jitsu fight team coached by uh, Michael Chiesa over there. So the big draw for me headed into this fight was to see uh, Spokane hoist a third ultimate fighter trophy. Of course I was denied that pleasure, but I guess I came for, for Brady Hearstand and I got to see Ricky Tercios because now I'm digging everything he's got going on. He will just walk through all your punches. He doesn't give a care about any of this stuff. And he ultimately gets the, uh, the unanimous or the split decision here. 
Now, we all know that Chad Dundas, in particular, is a mark for the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And fighters hailing from the Pacific Northwest. Is Spokane the the western limit of it? Like, if the fighter's from Seattle, I don't see you get quite as excited about it. I mean, we'll get excited about there being an NHL team in Seattle, cracking up, coming soon, maybe, to podcast near you. Uh Because that's just, it's rare for us to even get a professional sports team even that close. But... Where do you consider the cutoff of like, I will get the Chad Dundas Pacific Northwest Homer vibe for this fighter? Like if somebody's from Walla Walla, do they get it? Oh, yeah. Big time. Uh, okay. Boise. Uh, Boise pretty far away, man. Especially if you get, have you, ever, have you ever driven to Boise? No. Why would I drive to Boise? Well, just because of the way the interstate works. I mean, you can either go yeah, down. It's not, it's not easy. You can take the highway, which is a straight shot, but it's also just a two laner. And so you're going to be going slower anyway, or you can take the interstate, which like it makes a big hook through all of Idaho. So you can't just drive straight to Boise. You got to see the whole state. Yeah. yeah you got to go through okay. Twin Falls. You got to go through Idaho Falls. You got to go through uh, Pocatello and then eventually get your ass to Boise, which is a nice town. But uh, it's it's a it's a rough drive, so I don't get up for it. I guess I go all the way out to Portland in my homerism, as evidenced okay. by my undying love for the old school Team Quest guys. Uh, but Spokane, man, those are our neighbors to the west. That's a short drive over there. If you yeah. uh, if you're trying to get yourself some of the gummies, or uh, they got them. I hear I hear they got them over there. Yeah, or you just want to find yourself a cheap Airbnb to spend the weekend with your family, Spokane. Spokane is is a is a great place to go. Now you got Michael Chiesa and, and everybody out there. Of course, they came up a little bit short here uh, with Brady Hearstand with a uh, a fighting style that I can only describe as Chiesa esque. Yeah, well, one of the things I appreciate about this fight in particular, we're we're trying some stuff. Everybody was out there trying some stuff. Yeah, you know, nobody was out there just being like, "Hey, look, I only I only do one or two things, and I play it conservative." And I, I no, we're all out there. We're, we're throwing stuff at the wall. We're seeing what sticks. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think like uh, Brady Hearstand, he he only has like three fights or something. Like the guy's just a, uh, he's a baby in the world of professional MMA fighting. Richie, Ricky uh, Tercios advanced his professional record to 11 and two overall. So he came in uh, with a decided experience advantage here. Uh, so you can understand if one of these guys is still just out there kind of finding his legs, trying stuff yeah. out. He's, he's just yeah. a, Still getting his legs under him. All right. Next question this week comes to us uh, from Jesus Quintana, who I believe is the Jesus from yep. the Big Lebowski. Um, I have heard that you don't fuck with the Jesus. Yep, that's that's the word on the street. He okay. writes, sup achiever dudes. So now we're, we're going to get a Big Lebowski reference here. We're doing a whole thing. Yeah. Brian Pooh Bear Battle, exclamation point. One of the worst fight names I've ever heard. Is he missing a trick with Brian Prepare For Battle? See, okay. I understand, and I will not argue with Jesus Quintana's main point here, that Pooh Bear, mm, I don't know. I don't know if it's working. However, I also understand you roll in there as a professional fighter and your last name is Battle. I'm sure the temptation is strong and the people are going to be pushing you to do something with that you know, that you have in your name a synonym for what we're doing. Yeah. And people are really going to want you to lean on that. I kind of appreciate somebody going the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pooh Bear is, I mean, here's the worst thing about the, having your nickname be Pooh Bear is that when Bruce Buffer says it on the <laughs> mic, 
It sounds like he's saying poop air. Well. And then you got to wonder, why is this guy's nickname poop air? <laughs> You're saying that maybe it's a problem of execution and Bruce Buffer's to blame. I mean, I guess you just got to, if you're going to give yourself a nickname, you got to try to figure out what it's going to sound like on the mic because you don't want to be Brian Poop Air Battle. No, you don't. But also, if I signed up for like a cage fight at the fairgrounds and I know nothing about my opponent, nothing, you know, there's no tape to study. Nobody can even tell me anything about it. I haven't seen him before. And I hear that his nickname is Pooh Bear. <laughs> I'm like, either... He is clinically insane or he's scary because like there's no way that he's just a mediocre fighter who decided to go with Pooh Bear. It's like, you know, if you're if you're in prison and your cellmate's name is Tiny, I, either he is like four feet tall or he's enormous. Yeah. And Pooh Bear is one of those things where I'm like, well, either he's just batshit crazy out of his mind or... He's tough enough that he doesn't care what you think. Would you rather fight a guy sight blind, sight unseen? Would you rather fight a guy with the nickname Pooh Bear, or would you rather fight a guy with the nickname The Cannibal? <laughs> well, one concern—I mean, especially if we're talking about organized cage fighting, you know, there's a referee and judges, and perhaps one hopes even a state athletic commission. I'm not concerned that he will eat me. I'm 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 confident that the structure of the sport will not allow him to consume my flesh. Yeah. Okay. I have I have faith enough, just barely, but faith enough in the checks and balances within the sport itself to feel like, well, whatever happens out there, I'm probably not gonna get eaten. Okay. See what you're saying right now sounds to me a lot like uh something Evander Holyfield might have told himself. Before he went out there to fight Mike Tyson, and that turned out to not be true. That's just the exception that proves the fucking rule, Jack. Okay. In any case, Brian Battle, the Pooh Bear, uh, goes out there and beats Gilbert Urbina. Second round submission. He is your middleweight ultimate fighter of season 7042 or whatever we just did. Ben, the ultimate fighter has been on so damn long that the entire Urbina family has competed on it. <laughs> I mean... Don't you kind of love it? It's yes. at that point where it's a generational experience to fight on the Ultimate Fighter. I know. We're like two seasons away from somebody being like, my granddaddy was on the Ultimate Fighter and my daddy was on the Ultimate Fighter after him. And now I was born <laughs> to claim my birthright and be on the Ultimate Fighter. Gilbert, yeah, can you be like a legacy? Like, Do, you, yes. do they have to take you kind of like Yale? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. Gilbert Urbina's two brothers preceded him on the Ultimate Fighter. Now he is in the finals against Brian Battle. Comes up short. I believe the Urbina brothers 0-3. Uh, although there's been so many Ultimate Fighter champs. If you told me you slipped an Urbina brother in there under my radar, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you you were lying. Yeah, absolutely. Next question this week comes to us from Dick Tracy. So, Well, what a range today. Yeah. You know? Uh, he writes, that kick to the groin by Jerry Murch, and of course he means Gerald Mearshart here, uh, was an amazing display of Dundasso. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, talk about, he says, take of two fights here, but I think what he means is a tale of two fights. Yeah. I was literally sitting there thinking he should kick him in the dick to get some time to recover. <laughs> Uh, Gerald Mearshart beats Mahmoud Muradov by second round submission, rear naked choke. Uh, I believe he didn't he do the eye poke also? Wasn't there a uh, uh, 
or did it was just just the low blow? I get confused because there was another fight on this card yes. where you rolled I think up. We we'll end up talking about that. Yeah, with both. Uh, this is second win in a row now. Two back to back performance of the night bonuses for uh, the machine GM three Gerald Mearshard, who frankly seems like a delightful human being. Yeah, he does. Did you see that our guy Pretty Tony Pettis, I believe, put $2,000 he never wanted to see again down on the underdog Gerald Mearshart, who then cashed for him? And I think I think he walked away with uh, like a $7,000 profit off wow. of that bet. Well, I hope I he post, posted a, uh, a screenshot of it like on social media. But that's, that's a, a believing in your friends paying off, you yeah. know? I would hope that uh, PTP is going to take Gerald Mearshart out for lunch or something. It also, though, how nervous do you think Pretty Tony might have been feeling early in this fight? Because as Dick Tracy, legendary comic book detective, points out, early on it wasn't looking so great for your boy Gerald Mearshart. That's why you you go with the... The low blow, and you take your time. You re- you recollect yourself, and mm-hmm. uh, and then you come out guns blazing. You're like, I need a moment to reassess, clear my head. Let's go with a dick kick. Yeah. The last three dudes that uh, Gerald Mearshart has Mearshart has fought are Kamzat Shemaev, Bartaj Fabianski, and now Mahmoud Muradov. Yeah, I mean. Can, can a guy get a, like a Larry Jones as an opponent? He's on like, the gotta- international circuit. You got to line me up with all these dudes where I can just hear their name and know that they are tough as shit. That's right. Yeah. Hear their names and see the beard and you know you don't want a piece of these yeah. guys. You just, I mean, can Gerald Mearshart get a Pooh Bear thrown in there? <laughs> oh, instead of the dagger of Dagestan or whatever. <laughs> Next question this week comes to us from Pat Milder, one of our beloved patrons of the Co-Main Event Podcast, writes... Alvy lands more significant strikes. Wellington loses two points in one round after a multitude of eye pokes and wins a split decision. Is this the max limit of Dundasso or is there more possible? Congrats on cheating the most effective martial art known to man. Uh, but will it be too powerful for mankind to handle? Only time will tell. Okay, here's where I got tripped up because uh, there's a lot of fouls here in the Sam Alvey fight where this dude, Wellington Terman, loses two points. And two points in like the span of 30 seconds. And yet, it's amazing. And yet, still comes out with the 27 28, 28 27, 28 27 split decision win over Sam Alvey, who at this point, unfortunately, uh, drops to O and a million. <laughs> he is O six and one in his last seven fights, is Sam Alvey. And you know what? It probably shouldn't have even been a split decision. Like the one scorecard for Alvy, I think, came from Adelaide Bird, if I'm not mistaken. And he, it was crazy to see this guy lose two points just right off the bang, bang, two yeah. points gone and realize he probably still going to win the decision <laughs> in a three round fight. He's still going to win the decision. Yeah. And I just and Sam Alvy is really heated about it afterwards. But it's like, man. I don't know what you thought was happening in that fight. He, he's doing the same Sam Alvey thing that he's doing over and over again, where he's just trying to fight with his back stuck to the fence for so much of the fight, waiting for the other guy to come in and do something so that he can try to counter and land one big shot. And if that doesn't happen, and it has been not happening a whole lot lately, that style just doesn't translate with the judges very well. 
And you could see it coming here. You could see that that's exactly what was going to happen. And yet he's still like, you know, trying for clinches and stuff when the, with the time ticking down in the final round. And you're going, wait a minute. Does he think that he's actually ahead based on like the point deductions? Like I could see how you would think, shit, man, if he spots me two points in a three round fight, I should have a pretty good chance to win. But even then, you just like, I, I do agree with the point Pat Milder's making here that if, this is kind of the limit you can push it to. I mean, we've seen people push the Dundasso too far and get disqualified. This is the most Dundasso you could possibly do and still come away win fight. Because they also, like, I think he opens up a cut with a clash of heads here, gets a couple eye pokes in there. Like, he walks right up to the line yeah. of giving this one away. If it's me, if I think I'm up 30-27 down the stretch in the third round, that's when I start thinking, okay, how mad am I at this guy? Uh, is it, is it, could I possibly live up to my nickname as the cannibal here down the stretch in the third round and still walk away with the decision win? See, I think that that's, now you're really playing with fire. People, people do not take kindly to you putting them, your mouth on them when they have not asked you to. Uh, this has got to be the end for Sam Alvey, right? Like, I think this was the last fight on his UFC contract and now, uh, we're Real. talking about how Kevin Lee may not be around anymore. Uh, Dana White in the post-fight press conference here, man. If if we're if we're gonna kick Kevin Lee down the road, uh, it's time for Sam Alvey to to be right behind him. Uh, I suppose this means that you did not hear Dana White's comments on that. I mean, I did. I heard it. he always brings it, right? That's what he said. But like, man, come he on. Always he always brings it is what Dana White said about Sam Alvey. I just I disagree. I mean, I feel like he's he's doing what he thinks is his style. He's doing what he thinks that he wants to do out there. But you look at these fights lately, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of those where I, where I came away being like, well, yeah, he really brought it, man. That was really incredible. Like, to me, it just seems like, well, Sam Alvey doesn't cause any problems for you, doesn't speak up, doesn't doesn't say anything you don't want him to say. We'll talk about how he doesn't think there should be a fighters union. He's not that expensive, and he'll just show up and fight whoever, whenever. And the UFC says like, okay, yeah, we don't we don't care if he's winning fights or if he's good or anything. But at, meanwhile, the UFC doesn't have a place for guys like Jimmy Rivera because he didn't bring it. Demian Maya, he's he's done. Sam Alvey though, we want to hang on and just have him keep showing up and and turning in these kind of performances. I mean, if you have to go out there and renegotiate your UFC deal on the heels of an 0-6-1 run, are they giving you a dollar fifty to show and a, a, like a pack of Juicy Fruit if you win? What's the What on earth could be the terms of this deal if they're going to keep Sam Alvey around? Uh, I think that they, at that point, they pay you in Venom merch. Hmm. That's Venom merch and uh, some of those water bottles that are made to look like Monster Energy drinks. Taking the uh, Misha Tate podcast, I would do this shit for free, quote, a little bit too literally. Yeah. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Dan Alexander, who writes, So I awoke to see the news that let me check Google to make sure I get his name right. That's right. Jake Paul just beat Tyron Woodley. Like most people, I'm itching to see a Paul, any Paul, get knocked out. But his comments about a fighter's union in the lead up gave me some genuine hope. I know that with every sentence he utters, he's looking to wind Dana up. But could a rich YouTuber actually offer the best chance of forming a fighter's union? Or am I just desperately hanging on to the idea that there will be one uh, one day? 
Final question, and I have trouble even thinking about this, but does he now deserve our begrudging respect? Please discourse. Uh, see, we have talked about this for a, for a few weeks now regarding Jake Paul, and that is the fact that uh, you can hate him if you want to, and that seems like the easiest choice to make, and I understand it because he seems uh, eminently hateable. But by the same token, every time it talks, he seems like he's saying at least saying the right stuff. Now, whether or not he is saying that out of uh, actual genuine concern for MMA fighters or whether or not he's saying it as uh, Dan Alexander notes here, just to kind of get under Dana White's skin and continue to needle Dana White, uh, you'll have to make up your own mind on that one. I think that the problem is, regardless of who the messenger is here, you still have a, just a gargantuan task ahead of you if you what you want to do is actually start a fighter's union because... Uh, I mean, just for starters, you're dealing with such an incredibly diverse workforce, which is spread all over the world. You got a lot of people who politically make up that workforce who are going to be against the idea of a union. You got other people like Misha Tate, who's coming out here saying she would do the thing for free. You got Derek Lewis recently falling all over himself to tell the UFC that he would go ahead and fight John Jones or Francis Ngannou for way cheaper than they want to do it. So like for a lot of different reasons, you have a tall order on your hands if you want to create a fighters union that said i don't think it's bad for jake paul to be out here talking about it considering that it seems like a bunch of people who probably don't pay much attention to combat sports for whatever reason pay attention to jake paul and so uh maybe if that is one of their formative interactions with the ufc and what they bring to the table you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see less people in the future up here on Twitter who can't wait to jump in my timeline, uh, telling me that these fighters are spoiled and they don't deserve to get paid enough or any more money. And hell, if it was, if it was at John one, four, five, seven, eight, nine, two, eight, he would love to get in there and have a UFC fight for $10,000. He, he would jump at the chance. Yeah. As far as though, could Jake Paul's vocal advocacy on the part of MMA and UFC fighters and and their pay scale actually lead to something meaningful like uh, a fighters union. The thing we've talked about before is that one of the big things you need to bring these guys all together and to form some kind of collective action on behalf of fighters is trust. You need them to have the faith in you that if they join with you and they stand with you, that they're not just putting their heads on the chopping block, that, that there's, there's strength in numbers, but only if you stick together. And one of the problems that past efforts have had is somebody pops up and is like, hey, we're doing this thing. Fighters join with us. But there's always been a reason for the fighters to look at whoever's doing that and be like, I suspect you have ulterior motives. I'm going to wait and see how it plays out before I tie my fate to yours because we've seen how the UFC can be kind of punitive with stuff like that. I don't see UFC fighters, even with Jake Paul saying all the right stuff, and even if Privately, they might be like, hell yeah, brother, tell them, tell these people something. I don't see them going like, okay, yeah, that's the guy. Like he's going to see this through to the end. He's he's going to be the, the power, the Leviathan that unites us all and brings us to the promised land. I don't, I don't see them believing in that. Yeah. I still think they see him as like, uh, you know, that's that YouTube twerp who's out there talking shit all the time. I don't think that they have that sort of faith in him. So it's hard for me to see it leading anywhere other than just doing what Jake Paul wants it to do, which is to create these headlines every once in a while. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Next question this week. I want to squeeze this one in here from Graham, the lighthouse keeper who writes in business idea, a regional MMA matchmaking service for fighters looking to pad their records called only cans. 
Alternatively, only cans could be a subscription service that delivers a selection of beer every month. That's all. Have a good day. Uh, Where okay. do I invest? That's a yeah. good idea. Only it cans. doesn't. It doesn't have to be an, an either or situation. Like, it could do both. It's I'm I'm I want to be a ground floor investor. I believe in this vision, Graham the Lighthouse Keeper, and uh, just tell me how I can be involved. That is going to do it for uh, listener mail this week. You have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks. You know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. with Game Pass. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Ben, Edson Barboza and Giga Chikadze had a bit of a back-and-forth affair as long as it lasted here in the main event of this UFC on ESPN event on Saturday night at the Apex down there in Las Vegas. And I say back-and-forth in that only that it took Giga Chikadze till about the start of the first third round to seemingly figure out, like, okay, I should stop letting him do the thing that he wants to do and go out here, go on the offensive, and put him away. And once he made that mental shift and that physical shift at the beginning of the third round, he ends up finishing this thing pretty quickly. But you start off here, again, like I'm going to say defensive affair, but only because I don't know that I've ever seen a fight where uh, these two dudes checked more of each other's kicks than Giga Chikadze and Edson Barboza did in this fight. Like pretty impressive, a couple of high-level dudes out there kind of stalemating each other for a while at the beginning of this thing. Then Giga Chikadze had some good moments in the first round. It seemed like Edson Barboza, uh, like harnessed the troops in the second round, had a pretty good round there. And then, like I said, Chikadze comes out third round, ends up getting a, uh, a TKO finish just a minute and 44 seconds into the third. 
Jika Chikadze, obviously a really, really high-level striker, former world champion kickboxer, 33 years old at this point, a guy who has been highly touted since his arrival in the UFC back in September of 2019. Now he's got these back-to-back wins over Cub Swanson and Edson Barbosa. He's seven fights into his UFC career. Was this the one where we essentially uh, opened the gates for Jiga Chikadze and led him into the upper echelon, or at least the, uh, the title picture or the contender picture of the 145-pound division, is this the point where we start thinking, okay, maybe it's giga time. Maybe this guy can do something in this division. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can make the argument that in both Cub Swanson and Edson Barboza, you're getting guys whose names have outlived a little bit of their their danger. Uh, less so with Edson Barboza than with Cub Swanson, but still, I mean, beating Edson Barboza is no easy task. Yeah. And especially to beat him in a fight like this where, for one thing, I, I like you pointing out how much, how many times we're basically just going to clash shins and both of us are going to make faces like we didn't even notice it. Like, just don't care. Don't have it. Haven't had feeling in your shins for years anyway. So that shit doesn't matter either one of these guys. And, in that second round, you can see Barboza doing his thing where like he is pressuring you. He's keeping you against the fence. He is not letting you get any sort of offense started. And when he starts to do that is typically when he's really dangerous. Like when he can get you where he wants you and get, stop you before you get started. That's the ship when Edson Barboza has typically been like a really dangerous guy to stand there across from and to be able to come out the next round after uh, basically giving that one to him, him being able to do a thing that he has proven he can do over and over again and just be like, okay, enough of this. Like we're, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, that's impressive to me. And it also like just shows like, you know, you're doing it in the main event of a fight night thing. It's not exactly like the biggest spotlight in the world, the, this kind of fight night event, but you're going out there against an experienced vet in the main event of the USC thing, and you're just you're not looking at all odd by the situation. Like that to me shows you that like Giga seems like he is ready. He's ready for that step up in the next next level of competition. The hard part is he's in one of those divisions where you do have to win like seven or eight in a row before we even remember your name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh if you're Giga Chikadze, maybe the good news is you get up into that upper limit of the contenders at 145 pounds not a ton of dudes up there that i feel like are just gonna wrestle your ass you know what i'm saying yeah. like mm-hmm. well you, your champion is alexander volkanovsky you got max holloway yair rodriguez chan sung jung calvin cater these guys are all you know dan Ige, all up at the top of the of the featherweight division brian ortega maybe the only guy uh who's a real pronounced submission threat there and even him is he's not ortega's not a guy we're like well his takedowns are amazing so like chikadze he's gonna get some chances here as he starts to climb up these ranks some guys are gonna have to play his game and as we saw against edson barboza that's a dangerous ass game to play because i don't know what the kicking equivalent of bungalows are but that's what giga chikadze throws and he throws them with absolutely no telegraph no warning whatsoever those uh kicks are just coming for your face and uh, he's barely moving. He could be having a cup of coffee. He could be uh, waiting for a taxi uh, with Karolina Kovalkiewicz. And he's, but he's just out there. He'll knock your ass out, man, without even blinking. Well, yeah. And when you look at the some of the other names in the top 10 of that division right now, there are a lot of fun fights you could make for him. Yeah. It's, and you could see how especially a guy on this kind of run, 
it wouldn't take that much him to win one or two of those. And we're looking around for fresh blood to challenge the, the champion. He could be right there. I guess the question I ask is, would that be the best thing for him? You think that he he's in danger of being sort of fast tracked before he's quite ready for that ex, you know total top level of the division? Yeah, it's a good question. Like when I remember when he first came into the UFC and like I said, had a lot of hype behind him just because of his previous kickboxing accolades. And like he's undefeated at this point still in the octagon. But those first couple of fights weren't exactly overwhelming. I think he started with three or four decisions right in a row. The first two of them split decisions. And so it was kind of like, uh, I don't know that we had started to look askance at Chikadze, but we had, it was sort of like we still needed to see some overwhelming performances from him in the octagon before we started to, to really give him his bona fides as a guy who could make noise in a very crowded division. Maybe he has hit his stride at this point because now he's got – uh, I believe three stoppages in a row. Uh, the last two, like I said, over Cub Swanson and Edson Barboza. You don't want him, to, like, you, you, he's not the number one contender. You don't want him to jump up there and immediately fight a Max Holloway, although that fight would be super fun. Uh, or Yair Rodriguez kind of guy. But if you told me, okay, Giga Chikadze against Dan Ige or Josh Emmett or Calvin Cater, somebody like that. I'd be like, okay, that seems that seems about right for me. That seems like a, a good test for him, but also not necessarily overwhelming. Yeah, but it is the the problem is that once the more you hype the guy up, and especially he get that that string of victories, and you're telling us how excited we ought to be about the guy, you do create a situation for him where he the stakes have to keep going up, the the matchups have to keep getting tougher just to hold people's interests. Yeah. The flip side here now for Edson Barboza, obviously this is second weight class now moving down from lightweight. He's two and two in the featherweight division. He beat Maquan, uh, Amir Khani and Shane Burgos, but now he's got losses to Dan Ige and Giga Chikadze. Uh, obviously 35 years old at this point for Edson Barboza, still a tough out, I think, for anybody out there. Uh, and a, like a fun fighter, a fighter that we will probably tune in to watch for as long as he wants to hang around in the UFC just because of, of his fighting style. But it also kind of seems like, all right, Edson Barboza, maybe we've seen the upper limits of, of what you're going to do in, in this organization. Yeah. And, and yet, if you like guys that bring it, yeah. which I was just told that you do. And you have a talent-rich division where you have a lot of young guys. you got guys you're going to need to have put in some kind of a test. You put Edson Barboza against kind of anybody, and you got my attention. Yeah. I will watch that. Yeah. He's we're, still, we're, you know, that has not changed. He still seems like a uh, an able gatekeeper, and I don't mean that as, a, uh, as an insult. I mean it as a, uh, uh, you know, if you can beat Edson Barboza – Hmm, you, you may well be a capital G guy in that division. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on uh, to round number two. Ben, we talked about Ricky Tercio against Brady. He, he stand a lot in the beginning of the show. Uh, but man, I tell you what, these guys had a crackerjack fight. Everybody had their moments. It was a close split decision at the end of it. I think the white, the right guy did win it. But then you got Dana White. Coming in the cage with his microphone and his glass obelisk, and he's ready to hand out a contract. And I thought, oh, here we go. We got a we got a tough moment ready to happen mm-hmm. here. All we got to do is hand out contracts to both these guys, and people will be talking about it. Are you fucking kidding me? Dana White got up in here and gave the least enthusiastic trophy presentation I have ever seen in my life to Ricky <laughs> Tercios. He's like. 
Uh, congratulations, you're the ultimate fighter. I think your coach is going to give you your black belt. Here you go. And that's, that's it. Like, no, it's like Dana White could not possibly channel the way we all feel about the ultimate fighter any more clearly in giving out the trophy to the winner, Ricky Tercios. He's like, he doesn't even care about it anymore. He literally had a look on his face like, who are these guys? I don't know. Take your glass trophy, kid. Enjoy it. Whatever. Are you fucking kidding me, man? We had a moment. We had a moment. We could have had a moment. We were teed up for a moment and we missed our moment. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? I mean, he cannot really be bothered to even pretend to care about a lot of the stuff happening in his own company and sport at this point. Yeah. He just, it's, I don't know if you've seen season two of Ted Lasso, but when Roy Kent has to hand out the trophies to his girls' soccer team after they lose the championship, he has more enthusiasm for the project than Dana White had for handing out the tough winner trophy. Yeah. And yet, we are told that it is all still appointment viewing. Mm-hmm. It'll never end as long as Dana White's around. That's what he told us about the Ultimate Fighter afterwards. Static with the viewership there. Uh, Chad, why are you fucking kidding me? So, you're telling me there's a Tommy Fury? <laughs> I go to watch this boxing match, this boxing event, which I will end up talking about here in the next round. And on this card, Tyson Fury has a little brother, Tommy Fury, which sounds made up, frankly. So are you fucking kidding me to that? But then I see the guy and I'm like, wait a minute. This is his brother? You're, you Are you sure about this? Because one of them, the guy who is actually a, a good boxer and a champion boxer, looks like Central Casting sent us an oaf. Okay. Like yes. we called down there and we said, we need an oaf. And they go, we got just the thing. And then his brother, you're telling me, is basically a male fucking model. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Are you telling me, are you charging, saying that this is a pro wrestling kind of thing where the promoters are like, ah, we got this guy, he's really good looking, how are we going to get him over? Let's pretend he's Tyson Fury's brother, we'll name him Tommy Fury. I mean, the pro wrestling people would stop themselves because they'd be like, no one would buy this. No one would buy that these guys are brothers. So I don't, but like, you look at the guy, Chad, he looks good getting off the bus. He does. He does. Yeah. Fucking kidding me. You fucking kidding me. See, there's there's a Tyson Fury, there's a Tommy Fury, there's a Teddy Fury, there's a Terry Fury, <laughs> there's a Tony Fury. Tantalus Fury, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? Honestly, now I'm kind of into the idea. You talked me into it. <laughs> That's gonna do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Chad, in Cleveland, Ohio, on Sunday night, a lot of people tuned in, ostensibly, it seemed, hoping to see Tyron Woodley land one of those big T-Wood right-hand bombs, sleep Jake Paul, and end this YouTube boxer phenomenon once and for all. And then Tyron Woodley kind of reminded us that you can change the gloves on the man, but you can't change the man in the gloves. Yeah. 
I'm not saying it's a bad performance by Tyron Woodley. He went out there. I can understand how he probably still feels like he deserved to win that decision. He was the one bringing the fight most of the time. But also, it was another one of those Tyron Woodley fights where, as a viewer, it's kind of frustrating. Because you feel like the guy could do anything. Physically, at times, he seems like he could do anything. And then what he chooses to do is just a little bit shy of what it seems like it's going to take to get the job done. Yeah. And there were moments in this fight. He he drills Jake Paul, knocks him almost through the ropes, has him in trouble, and doesn't really pounce. And I could see on Twitter a bunch of people getting mad and being like, oh, what is he doing? Is this fixed? This guy's not even going after him. He has an opportunity to finish him here, and he's not doing it. Something's up here, and, and you just want to tell him. The something that is up is the story of like the last five years of Tyron Woodley's career. Like we We have seen this before. Those of us who are familiar with his work in MMA. And yet, Jake Paul wins a decision here. The, the train rolls on. The, the spectacle, the circus, going to pick up the, the stakes, move the tent somewhere else, and we're just thinking about the next one. I guess I, I would encourage us all for these kind of fights to, instead of asking ourselves, did we get our money's worth? Did we see a good fight? Lower your expectations and just ask yourself, did I have fun? Yeah. Did we have a good time? Because you know what? I'm going to say this right now. I kind of had a good time. Yeah. I, I mean, hey, first of all, shout out to beloved patron of the co-main event podcast, Aruj Islam, who called it on Friday in the comments section over at the Patreon page saying he was going to put some money down on, I think, Jake Paul to win by decision uh, because the odds were like plus 800 or plus 700 or something like that. And he said, I fully expect Tyron Woodley to go out there and do Tyron Woodley things. And like, frankly, had it dialed, man, nailed this fight to a T. And there was that feeling when this thing started and you started to see Tyron Woodley uh, do those Tyron Woodley things. There was a feeling of like, oh, right. Yes, this is how Tyron Woodley has fought nearly every fight for like the last five years. And it's exactly how he's going to approach the Jake Paul fight. And that is going to lead uh, to what probably should have been a unanimous decision win for Jake Paul, even though. Uh, it was a split decision win. Tyron Woodley had his moments. But at this point, Ben, it's like, I feel like we got to start treating Jake Paul like he is a 4-0 professional boxing prospect. Not like I understand that he made his YouTube bones. He became famous because of his YouTube stuff. But we're, we kind of shortchanged the guy when that's how we treat him. Like he is a, a at least marginally skilled professional boxer who is at this point is is handpicking his own opponents so he's not he's not fighting anybody all that dangerous like tyron woodley obviously when he uncorks one has a lot of power but the the paul people know exactly what's going on when they're setting these fight fights up and they're trying to build up their their professional boxing prospect and this is how you do it in those in that arena uh and i also think we have to acknowledge at this point that what a difficult physical task it appears to be to transition from mixed martial arts to boxing where the techniques must just all be so different uh you know weight wise and and how you're going to stand and where you're going to distribute your weight and how you're going to hold your gloves and what the techniques are that like these guys just can't catch up and like jake paul he ought to be good at boxing man he doesn't have anything else to do like he doesn't have to have a job or anything he just hang around fucking box all day it's like yeah he's not not picking his kids up from school yeah so like you know? 
we 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 got. I think I guess I have mixed emotion. I think we simultaneously have to give Jake Paul credit for being a pretty good professional boxing prospect, but also say like he's handpicking these fights and he's he ain't fighting anybody who's known as a striker. Let's just say that up to this point. And let, but let me ask you this: like uh, he gets out of this one, he wins, he gets the decision, rightfully so. But I also wouldn't say that he looked stellar, especially down the stretch. So while he did pass the test, if you want to call it that, what do you do for this guy next if you're trying to set up another fight for him? Like he didn't I didn't watch this thing and be like, oh, Jake Paul is ready for the real deal after this. Well, you know what? If I were in the Paul camp, I saw some things that I could see them being encouraged by. One thing, just that he went the eight rounds and he was clearly tired, you could tell. But, you know, he didn't freak out. When he was in some bad spots there, kept his composure. He also, he definitely, I would say, remembered who he is and what kind of fighter he is. Like he, when he would get rocked there, you know, he's, he's circling. He's staying mo- like mobile. He's not going to stand there and uh, trade with Tyron Woodley, plant his feet and stand in front of Tyron Woodley for too long. He knows that that's trouble. Like he, he has a good sense of who he is and who he is not as a fighter. And like, you know, proved a little bit of toughness, a little bit of like savvy, especially for a guy who is like a 4-0 boxer. Like the not bad things for where he is in his development as like a 24-year-old 4-0 boxer. Like right. I could see them feeling pretty good about some of those things coming out of it. But also, you're not wrong that target selection has been the thing that Jake Paul has done the best of all anything else. Uh, you know, selling the fight. Uh, doing a good job of like building a bridge from one fight to the next. All that stuff is good. But the smartest thing he has done is who he has chosen to fight. And here fighting even like Tyron Woodley, a guy where it was like, okay, you're still basically trolling the MMA community by choosing another, you know, fighter, another MMA fighter who is past his prime. But you're also choosing one who is more dangerous than the last one. You know, it's that he's, known as a better striker than Ben Askren, and he's not coming off a hip replacement. And so it seems like, okay, maybe this is the one. Like, that's the idea that he is selling to us, is maybe this is the time Jake Paul finally gets his comeuppance. I mean, it's a classic pro wrestling move, you know? And he's the one, he keeps skirting out of the grasp and tapping his temples and wagging his finger at the end, being like, nope, not this time. Yeah. This is not the time. But it it works. It absolutely works on people. And so, you know, you got to find somebody else after that. I saw Tommy Fury, the aforementioned Tommy Fury, trying to get up in his face and talk about it. But, you know, if there's one thing that I believe that that guy is going to continue to do well, it's pick smart opponents for where he is at. And Tyron Woodley was a, a smart opponent for this because he's undersized, you know, he, he was giving up height and reach there, and he's uh, not quite as, as quick as he used to be. And also, like you said, a lot of the stuff that Tyron Woodley had excelled at just didn't really work for him in this fight because he's trying to get you up against the fence, get you with your back stuck to the fence, and there's no fence. And when he does get you, nails you into the ropes, <laughs> Jake Paul just kind of goes through him, and then he's back circling again. And it was just like he couldn't get those opportunities that he likes and he just had not adapted it enough for boxing. Yeah. If you strip away the celebrity and the fact that we're putting 15,000 people in this arena in Cleveland and we're selling it on pay-per-view, like it honestly kind of seems like Jake Paul has had the proper fights for a dude who is like a four and O pretty good boxing prospect who they are trying to bring along and build into something. How far that road goes for him. I don't know at this moment. I hope Tyron Woodley made a bunch of money. 
like above and beyond anything else. Like it's, uh, I hope that he, that he got paid. Uh, and I hope that he doesn't get that tattoo thinking he's going to get the rematch out of it. He's not getting the rematch. It doesn't matter what you do, Taryn. Don't get the tattoo because you're not getting the rematch. When a noted internet troll tells you, yes, I will give you a rematch if you get my name tattooed on your body. Don't do it. Don't do it, Tyron. Don't do it. See, this is 40 bucks to the CME Venmo service would really save you a lot of heartache here. That's right. All right, well, that's going to do it for uh, round number two. Uh, we'll be right back with round number three. Ben, November the 6th is a date that we probably want to circle on our calendars at this point. UFC 268 coming to you from the actual granddaddy of them all, Madison Square Garden out there in New York City. Going to get a double championship affair here. Kamaru Usman uh, defending his title in a rematch against Colby Covington and Rose Namajunas defending her title in a rematch against Zhang Wiley. Not to be outdone, though, the rest of this card is also pretty smoking. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, as long as uh, we can get the right money to the right person to make sure that unvaccinated-ass Michael Chandler can show up in New York and do do his job. Uh, Sean Strickland against Luke Rockhold. Jermaine Durandamy against Irene Aldana. Frankie Edgar against Marlon Chito Vera. And Al Iaquinta returns against Bobby Green. Uh, this is a stacked card in a way that yeah. we don't see every UFC card stacked anymore. So I think for at least for the time being, without angering the gods atop Mount Zion, we could say that this this is one we're going to look forward to for the next couple of months. I do want to talk a little bit, though, about this rematch, Rose Namajunas versus Zhang Wai Li, an immediate rematch of sorts. These guys uh, fought in April of this year in Jacksonville, where... Uh, Rose Namajunas knocked out Zhang Wiley with a head kick, took the women's strawweight championship. Of course, Carla Esparza had put together her resume here to come in and perhaps challenge for the title. What are your thoughts about the uh, about this immediate rematch here? Slotting Zhang Wiley up against uh, Rose Namajunas so soon after their first fight, which was not, uh, there was no question about who won that one. That was pretty definitive. It was. There was no controversy. It wasn't like uh, we had ourselves a real back and forth fight and it was a questionable decision like what we saw really in the Yuani and Jaychik and and Zhang Wiley fight. Uh, Went out there in, you know, just over a minute, knocked her out and pretty clear. But I guess what the UFC is saying is, yeah, we thought about it and we decided that we would make more money just doing that fight again than Carla Esparza, who... While she clearly, on papers, proved that she deserves uh, something like a title fight here, we just we can't see anybody getting excited about it. Yeah. Even though, you know, I mean, it's like Carlos Sparza has that that win over Rose Namajunas from the tough finale, uh, low those many years ago, uh, all the way back in 2014. It would be absolutely justified if this functioned the way normal sports work, where when you win the thing, you get to move on to the next thing. And yet the UFC is just kind of looking at it and being like, no, like we, we, we don't get up for that one. We don't, we don't see anybody else getting up for that one. And we still very much like Zhang Wiley to help us like break into and expand in the Chinese market. Yeah. The problem is you go ahead and you throw her in this rematch and Rose Namajunas beats her again. Then what do you do with Zhang Wiley? 
Yeah, and this will be the third consecutive immediate rematch that Rose Namajunas has appeared in because she fought Joanna yeah. Jacek twice, uh, then she fought Jessica Andrade twice, and now she's going to fight Zhang Wiley twice. Uh, and the second fights for Rose Namajunas in that in that string, she's been successful in all of them. She's a smart fighter. She comes from a good camp. It seems like she comes in with a good game plan. Of course, Zhang Wiley is always going to be dangerous and is always going to be uh, the kind of person who can end a fight relatively quickly and the kind of person who can be there for five rounds if she needs to be. But I think you're right. This is kind of a gamble. I think if uh, Rose Namajunas beats Zhang Wiley again, then then you need to do some serious rehabilitation to try to get her back to something resembling number one contender status. And frankly, this seems like a weird spot to do it to me. Like you've already got uh, the Usman versus Covington fight to be the main event here at Madison Square Garden. If you were going to have a slightly low wattage women's strawweight fight as the co-main, I don't know, you might as well plug in Carla Esparza. Wouldn't be a terrible spot to do it, but I, I do understand what you're saying, and I do think you're right. The UFC gotta gotta be all about that that money these days. They gotta they gotta get that money back for Endeavor. So I guess we're gonna well, we're just going with the high with the high dollar matchups at this point. Also, these are fights that you are booking for November, which is kind of like hoping. Yeah. This is, it, it's kind of like throwing a penny in a well. It might as well be 10 extent. years from now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are the fights you're saying that you hope to have on that date and in that location. And so, you know, as we've seen, if you did put together a low wattage uh, women's title bout here and then think to yourself like, ah, well, it won't really matter because we got this main event thing that's, you know, another rematch that we're going to use to sell it. And then it's just a good overall card. So we'll be fine. You're one or two COVID positives or something away from ending up with that just being your main event. And so uh, I could see how if we're planning to have ourselves a big blockbuster pay-per-view and and do good numbers with it, then let's really plan on it. And 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 it is. It is. It looks like a really good card. I mean, it does remind you of the days where you go, oh yeah, I look at uh, all these names that were planted here for like the main card and the top of the prelims, kind of, and go remember the days when it seemed like all these fights were important and we cared about and we knew every single person in them. And that's that's what we have here. And it just kind of is a, a sad reminder of how seldom that is the case lately. Yeah. Uh, for Kamara Usman, this will be his third fight of 2021, which is a busy schedule for a UFC champion. Uh, obviously, a rematch against his 2019, of his 2019 win over Colby Covington. Colby Covington, ironically enough, his last win over Tyron Woodley in September of 2020. So we are going to go ahead and do this one over again. So, you know, while this is like this is a stacked card, it's one I'm excited for. And we it's good to have these two championship fights uh, atop of the card here in the main event, I'm not totally sure I can see a good case for things going any differently than they did in the first fight. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Kamaru Usman probably beats Colby Covington more convincingly in the rematch than he did in the first one. Especially just if you look at what we've actually seen from them, like the the opportunities we have to see them show some growth as a fighter since then. Kamar Usman's had more of those opportunities, but he's also looked a lot more dangerous lately than anything we've seen from Colby Covington, who still seems like when we've seen him, basically the same guy doing the same thing. It's not a bad thing. He's pretty good at it. He's one of those people who can weaponize pace against you. But Kamar Usman is one of those people where it seems least likely to work against. Yeah. 
assuming that Michael Chandler can get cleared and have this fight in New York despite his anti-vax stance and unvaccinated status, this lightweight matchup with Justin Gaethje is probably the people's main event. This is going to be an absolute yeah. uh, slobber knocker, a slugfest we would anticipate against these two guys. Like, and another tough fight for Michael Chandler, who has kind of had nothing but tough matchups since coming into the UFC from Bellator. But maybe in a perfect world, that's how you want it to be, both if you are fans and if, if you are Michael Chandler, for God's sakes. But uh, this is probably the other the other fight on this card that I would have circled as one that I'm hot to see. What about you? Is, is this going to be the most anticipated fight for you, or is there something else on this card that uh, that tickles your fancy? Here's the thing. Michael Chandler, get vaccinated today. Start the start the process today. If you go and you get the first shot today, what is it, is it like four weeks, four or six weeks after the, that you get the second one? That you'll be in camp, you'll have one day where you feel a little fluish, maybe. Then you'll be right back at it today. Don't wait. Don't wait any longer, Michael. You, you, you need this one to hold together. Like, we need this one. Because Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler is one of those damn video game fights. Yeah. that's It's what you would do if you sat down with a USC video game. You're just trying to pair people up. And you just going to play rock'em sock'em robots out there and it's going to be fun as hell. Also though, you got Justin Gaethje, Rose Namajunas, Kamara Usman. Does Trevor Whitman just stay out there for yeah. these fights? Mm-hmm. Like all his, all his fighters, does he just walk out with Justin Gaethje and then like win or lose to like slap Justin on the button and be like, all right, I'll see you back there. I got Rose coming out next. I'm just going to hang, just, just stay here for efficiency's sake. That's a busy night of work for that guy. Yeah, I saw Dean Thomas on uh, on Twitter being like, "Well, now I see why Trevor Whitman gave me his job working for the UFC because he's he's got other stuff to do here." So yeah, it's going to be a busy night for Trevor Whitman. But I think like uh, not only is that how you want it, like from a coaching standpoint, you're probably going to be good good for for your bottom line. But like that's going to be a hell of a gym to be in over the next couple months, man. Where basically everyone in there is getting ready for a big fight on the same night. So that's going to be a charged atmosphere, I guess, is what you would say. You're saying maybe it's not the right time to, to come in there and try to throw a pizza party, yeah, <laughs> team pizza party, yeah, or be like, hey guys, like uh, I've been trying to organize the the gym bar crawl. Who's down? And everybody just kind of looks at you like, not the time, man, not the time. Get at us November seventh. We will bar crawl all you want. All right, let's go ahead and do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff? Well, we were mentioning Edson Barboza, who is one of those people who is somehow only 35, feels like he's been fighting in the UFC forever. Went back looking at the record of, you know, one Edson Mendez Barboza Jr. You know his debut in the UFC, Chad? It was UFC 123. November 20th, 2010. The headliner for that one was Rampage Jackson versus Leota Machida. Did that one uh, outside Detroit there at the Palace at Auburn Hills. Um, and this was a fight. Edson Barboza showed up, won the rare leg kick TKO over Mike Lulo, who I believe is the cousin of longtime sports writer Maggie Hendricks. Uh, just absolutely shredded his legs, looked good. We all went, oh, okay, this guy seems like he's legit. Chad, I'm just saying, that was almost 
11 years ago. You know what the the fight night performance bonuses were for that one? Mm, $50,000? $80,000 each. Oh. This wasn't UFC 100, wasn't UFC 200. Wasn't, it was just another pay-per-view Rampage Jackson and Leota Machida in a non-title affair, a three-round fight at the top of the card. You know, BJ Penn and Matt Hughes doing their trilogy thing uh, on the, in the co-main event. Not a whole lot else special going on. $80,000 performance of the night bonuses. Fight of the night went to Joe, George Sotteropoulos and Joe Lozon. Uh, BJ Penn got knocked out of the night for mumbling uh, to himself like a madman before he went out there and starched Matt Hughes. Phil Davis got uh, submission of the night for his uh, Kimura over Tim the Barbarian Boach. $80,000 11 years ago and somehow did not totally fuck up the UFC's budget even then when it was far less profitable than it is now. I'm just saying. Just saying. Wow. Uh, Ben, you remember last week I said if you were looking for the weights, you should check William Knight's house. Yeah. Because that's uh, that's where they're keeping him these days. So Got to circle back to that this week because I don't know if you saw this video on the internet. I guess this week I'm just saying maybe I wasn't actually joking. Maybe I thought I was joking, but like this week I see this video of William Knight doing the leg press machine and doing incline bench presses at the same time. That's a guy who has places to be, I assume. That's He's what I'm thinking. Is he, is he trying to save time with this? Because you don't mm-hmm. got to do that, man. You could do one after the other. Do do them in a superset for all I care, but you're doing them at the same time? I'm just saying that seems unnecessary, William Knight. I mean, I respect the, I respect the, ga- the game, the grind, the hustle, but uh, you, you don't have to do those at the same time, man. You just you could do separate separate sets. You know, though, somewhere Tony Ferguson saw that video <laughs> and is like, all right, I see you. I see you. But why aren't you balancing on a yoga ball? Yeah, exactly. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. In any case, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're going to be over at the Patreon page all week, patreon.com slash co-main event. We have fun over there. It's a good time. You should consider joining us. Three handy tiers of patronage available for you if you want to check it out, patreon.com slash co-main event. Uh, As for right now, though, thanks for listening. We are done. We are through. We are out. You could put some chains on the bars. That's one of the things I you see could. missing here from William Knight's approach. But other than that, some of those bands, some of those resistance bands, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or you could have a you could have a guy standing over you, punching you in the stomach while you do those okay. things. He should also, while he's doing all this, be drinking a glass of water and singing the national anthem. He could have one of those hats with the two beers in them and the straws that go into your mouth. There you, you go. Know, you gotta stay hydrated. Everyone knows that. While he says, like he reads off a chronological list of the vice presidents. 